Hello everyone, uh, this is Boots on the Ground podcast and I'm your host D-Blex Lesalon. On to our third episode of the new series, Female Vets Driving Wildlife Conservation in Kenya Forward. I'm super, super delighted to be speaking with Dr. Charlene Serange Angwenyi. Dr. Angwenyi is a wildlife veterinarian and researcher from Kenya. She qualified with a BSc in veterinary medicine from the University of Nairobi and a Master's in Global Wildlife Health and Conservation from the University of Bristol. Her passion for wildlife, specifically Kenya's unique biodiversity, led her to specialize in wildlife medicine, undertaking a year-long veterinary internship with the Kenya Wildlife Service, where she worked in various conservation areas across the country. She has practiced in the wildlife sector in Kenya for almost five years now. Dr. Angwenyi is currently the Wildlife Health and Disease Surveillance Manager with Smithsonian's Global Health Program in Kenya. Her interests are in endangered species, recovery programs, and wildlife disease surveillance. She is currently leading a research project investigating the dynamics of clostridial disease in black rhinos in Kenya. Additionally, she has led roles in two other initiatives by the Global Health Program. Number one, the development and implementation of the Earth Ranger Health Tool focused on syndromic disease surveillance conducted by wildlife rangers. And two, the repatriation of the critically endangered mountain bongo from Florida to Kenya. As a Wildlife Conservation Network Veterinary Scholar 2020, and a National Geographic uh, Explorer 2023, Dr. Nguyeni dedicates her time and expertise to encourage young scientists, particularly veterinarians, to joining the wildlife field. She is a member of the uh, WDA African and Middle East uh, section, where she previously served as student representative and is currently the chairperson. She uses her unique blend of passion and technical expertise to promote the health of the heritage that is Africa's wildlife and the ecosystems to which they belong. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn something. Karibu, karibu sana. Cool. Uh, a very huge, huge thank you um, to you, Shailene Angweni. Thank you so much for making time to join us on the Boots on the Ground podcast um, uh, today, straight from Nanyuki. Uh, karibu sana to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. Perfect. Let's just dive right into the conversation, Shailene. And I can't wait to have a chat with you about your journey, your your the, the incredible research and uh, uh, vet, vet work that you do for, for our wildlife, you know, and just hearing your perspective about uh, uh, wildlife, wild spaces in Kenya and how that journey has been for you. And uh, to start us off, uh, could you walk us through your story, where it began, where were you born, your upbringing, um, your first interaction with wildlife, uh, or even, you know, dogs, cats, <laughs> domestic animals uh, in that uh, uh, manner as well, and how you, you ended up um, uh, now working for the Kenya Wildlife Service as a fully-fledged vet and uh, yeah, could you share with us how, how uh, could, you, could you give us an insight into, into, into your journey? Sure. Thanks for that intro. Um, my journey. <laughs> it's a long one, um, but <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll try to put it as short as possible. Um, so yeah, my name is Shalina Ngoyi. 
I was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, the beautiful city of Nairobi. Um, and grew up and was brought up by a loving family that all loved animals in general and loved nature and um, adventure. So I think that's where sort of like my love for the wild places came up from. Um, and I had parents who, again, gave us the privilege to be able to go on holidays, like when um, school was out and we got to go to different places across the country. And there were all places where we got to see wildlife. So it was always um, really nice and really refreshing to like sort of move away from the city and, you know, go to these nice and free wild spaces and see wildlife in sort of like the natural habitat and all. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Growing up with my family, we'd always have like game drives, could be as well in like Nairobi National Park, of course. Um, and we'd see lots of different wildlife and wildlife species. And I'd be, I was probably like maybe like five, six, probably the yeah. first time I interacted with any sort of wildlife. Well, not wow. interacted, but saw wildlife. Um, and yeah, it was, it was. I'd say it was pretty cool. Um, and just yeah, having that exposure from a young age, I am definitely acknowledging the privilege that not many people get to see that. But also being born and raised in Kenya, it's something that we should all be very much proud of. Um, all so our work places yeah. are very beautiful. So yeah, um, yeah. So my parents basically are the ones who um, introduced me to wildlife and this love for animals and nature. And um, they gave, my dad rather got us a pet um, when I was around 12, um, a German Shepherd. We named him Rico. Um, and he was supposed to come in as a security dog, but things changed because I was determined to make him love me. Um, so <laughs> I did I did my best to change him from this sort of like really aggressive dog to just like being around people and being patted and, you know, just... Sort of like a pampered lifestyle um which eventually he got into so i'm, I'm proud of myself for that <laughs> but yeah. um yeah it was again i think that was like the first like um interaction i had with wildlife of course growing up like in the ushago setting of us kenyans um i remember chasing after chicken as my grandmother would laugh at me when i was younger wow. like yeah. that. <laughs> um <laughs> She used to tell us, if you don't catch it, you don't eat dinner. So um, maybe have... that was my, exactly. <laughs> that that was probably my first um, actual interaction with animals in general. <laughs> and I, I never caught, I never, I never caught any of the chicken. I was not. So skilled. what did you do? Did you have the bunny with tea and, uh, or. <laughs> Luckily, I am named after my grandmother, so she couldn't leave me out of dinner. So I had to eat regardless. <laughs> Like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So that was really nice. Um, but now a bit like more towards like getting into vet med. Um, I think I was around twelve when I thought that this is possibly a career I would like to go into. Um, as I've mentioned, my parents played a huge role in that. Um, when we were younger, again, they we had when we got the pet, they would make sure that again we had the proper vet care that the animals needed. So in terms to regular deworming, annual vaccinations, um, getting them neutered at a certain age, like of course trying to not have too many puppies at home. <laughs> um, wow, yeah. And I, 
yeah, I just used to learn from them that this is actually something that should be done and can be done. And again, growing up again in a generally like sort of like traditional African household, it wasn't something that we frequently saw. Um, a lot of people would just be like, yeah, that's that's our dog, Tasca, you know, the generic names mm-hmm. um, that we feed every so often, but most of the times it figures out what it's going to eat out there somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a my parents were making sure that our dogs had like proper meals, balanced meals, were cooking for them every single day, fresh food. Um, so yeah, I think they, again, definitely instilled that like love and passion into me for animals in general. And then now in the process of um, just growing up and our dog and the neighbor's dog um, sort of decided to give us a little puppies. And my parents were like, you know, yes, we have to deworm them, we have to vaccinate them. And again, just having a vet come over and make sure the puppies were all well and healthy. And yeah. again, that's when I was like, yeah, this is definitely like a cool thing to do. Um, and I requested that vet, if it was possible, to shadow him for a bit, um, especially when I was on school holidays. And luckily, he gave me that opportunity. So like when I was on breaks, um, if he had like any surgeries or any house calls he was going to, he'd call me um, and tell me where to go. And he'd guide me like through the different, um, what's called, sort of like what jobs he had for the day. And he'd explain things, even though I was probably like in 12, 13 and had no idea what he was talking about. But he was very, (laughs) very patient with me and very willing to teach me as well. Um, So yeah, again, just sort of grew up in a perfect setting, so to speak, that sort of laid the foundation for what I didn't know then, but what I know now was a career that I was going to go into, which was, again, pretty amazing. Um, you just reminded me, Shailene, before you, you continue, um, my love yeah. for dogs as well. I remember I used to rear lots of dogs at home. And um, right. I used to wake up very early in the morning at six with my bicycle to go to the slaughterhouse to get the, to get the freshest, you know, blood. That's we used to give them blood, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. some, you know, leftovers of meat there when um, the, the, the men working at the slaughterhouse will do their thing. And, you know, there's these leftovers that are left. And I did it with a passion, you know, and I think maybe that's my love for wildlife as well, maybe, or animals grew up there, because I remember I used to even have puppies in the house and my mom would get so upset. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I, I definitely had such a situation. There's one of our dogs that got bit, as a puppy, got bit by one of the bigger dogs um, fighting over a bone or something. Yeah. And he had to like go and have surgery. When he came back, I insisted that this is now our house dog. It's going to be indoors all the time. I'm going to like bottle feed it. And it is yeah. well. And what? I was just looking like, what's wrong with this child? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> It's 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 been an interesting one, but again, every time they bring up something crazy about me, I always remind them that it's their fault. So, mm. but, uh, <laughs> right. um, yeah. yeah. So so yeah, education wise, again, was all in Nairobi, um, yeah. primary to secondary school, and when I was in secondary, before choosing like what I wanted to do in uni. I was good at the sciences in general, um, so I knew it would have to be something like scientific based, but I wasn't sure what it was. Again, um, everyone always has pressure to be the doctor in the family and stuff like that. So I think part of it was, yes, I was good at the sciences, but I was like, yeah, being a doctor doesn't sound like a bad thing. Yeah. Um, 
but luckily the school I was in also encouraged us to like sort of have like work experience in different places so that you know um early enough if it's exactly what you want to do yeah. um in the long run which was amazing this, this was in high school yes okay um i know people will make or... that's what i was gonna say like, i know people will make fun of me and i was like yeah it's a group of schools okay i see yeah hey, i was wondering <laughs> internships in high school <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Brayside School. Um, yes, nice. they also they also made sure that I I did more than just my academics. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, so yeah, I had the opportunity to volunteer at Kenyatta National Hospital and at um, KSPCA, both in Nairobi. And it was supposed to be like a two, it was supposed to be a two week like attachment period where again you're just getting experience of what the job entails. And I remember at KNH, I just could not survive. First of all, the entrance to like where we were based in the building was through the like the accident and emergency like doors. Yeah. And you'd see just insane things. And I was like, do I want to be a doctor though? Like it was, <laughs> it was quite intense. It was very intense. And um, yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure if that was the path I wanted to take. But then... I went to KSPCA and I loved being with the animals and I was seeing what the vets were doing. Um, just, I felt like it gave me so much more joy mm-hmm. um, hanging out with these animals and being like of help to them. And that was kind of like the moment I was like, okay, yes, I want to be a doctor, but not for human beings. Not um, for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then also generally speaking though, just being very honest, sick human beings are very difficult people. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It requires a certain type of, you know, care, yeah. attention, but also and to, to, you know, yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. Um, so I kind of also look at my personality and my, I'm apparently like almost like ninety nine percent introverted, and I was like, I cannot be the one. <laughs> it will not be me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, so like being at KCA gave me so much joy and like I truly enjoyed the experience that I had there and sort of um, How long that you me... just two weeks. It wasn't two. it wasn't even a long yeah, it wasn't even a long period. Um yeah. but yeah, that sort of like made me realize that yeah, definitely going towards animals was the direction I wanted to go to. Cool. So when I was applying for a uni, which was at University of Nairobi, um I applied for veterinary medicine. But part of me still remembered like how much I loved wildlife growing up and that I would want to do something um in the wildlife scene. And then also growing up watching like National Geographic shows and just all these cool wildlife um series that were um being shown on TV. I also yeah. wanted to do something in wildlife conservation. So nice. yeah, when it came to applying to uni, I applied for both um vet med and wildlife conservation and sort of decided like let let fate decide which direction I go. Um, so I was like, whichever course I am going to be um, accepted into is the course that I was going to end up doing. Mm-hmm. UON did not do me any favors. They decided to accept me into both. So I still had to <laughs> decide what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I ended up choosing veterinary medicine because I was like, you know what? After five years, I'm going to have the title doctor. So let's let's go with it. That, let's that do this. Like yeah. Plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and then I sort of like forgot about wildlife um, during my 
Unicos because it was mostly focused on um, small animal medicine and like love, livestock. So a lot of like dogs, your dog, dogs, cats, cows, goats, sheep, um, okay. and all that. Yeah. So at, at, I think at least until like our third year of uni is like the first time I had like something about wildlife being mentioned. And I was like, oh, wait, like there's, there's a whole other side of vet med that I haven't truly like explored or learned about really. Um, but again, I didn't think much of it um, through uni until I graduated. And as vet school is here in Kenya, um, after you complete the five years, you're supposed to do a one year internship before you start your, um, your license to practice on, to practice on your own. Okay. And during during that process of like trying to figure out where I'd want to go for that one year, because one day is a long time. I had to make sure I've, I'm choosing somewhere. You know, I'm gonna have fun and like <laughs> um, yeah. learn a lot. So yeah, having had experience through like uni, where um like in my first like three years, I'd been to like different labs for my attachment. I'd been to like small animal clinics. I'd been to a farm. So I'd learned um sort of like the different sides of vet med in terms of like what people could practice in until like fourth year where I was lucky enough to go to Opegeta Conservancy for my attachment yeah. for two months. Nice. And it was just a whole new ball game, like learning about what like wildlife medicine entails. And it was, again, just um, an incredible time that I had there for the two months that I was there with one of my friends. Um, so yeah, definitely enjoyed that. So when we were preparing for like now the internship period after uni was over, um, one of the guys who's in charge of the internship sort of mentioned as a by the way, because I was asking like what are the places we could go to um that are recognized by the Kenya Veterinary Board as internship stations. So when you had gotten your license, right? No, not yet. Um oh. so this was the one year internship now before um now being licensed oh. to practice now. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, so he sort of mentioned like in passing, um he was giving me a list of places that I could go to for my internship. And he mentioned a bunch of clinics, like the county vets. And then he was like, oh, yeah, KWS. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, KWS is, is a, like an internship station. And I was like, I can go to KWS. And he's like, yes, definitely. And I'm like, okay. And it was sort of like a fast come, fast serve basis on who gets to um pick up the positions at different stations. So I yeah. think at the time KWS only had four positions for vet interns. And I am not a morning person, but that day I was like, I need to be the first person in line because no one is taking this opportunity from me. Um, yeah. So I remember being the first person and even everyone else being like, oh, wait, KWS is an option. And I'm like, you better not take my position. <laughs> you, you come after, I don't care, but the first position is mine. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I luckily got that. Um, and also it sort of helped in that I had the previous exposure when I was at Olpegeta for a while. Yeah. And so that was now like from April 2019 to March 2020, just before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And it was probably, I'd say like the most eye-opening and most adventurous and most scary too. Mm -hmm. year of my life <laughs> why, why um, learning a lot <laughs> being, being thrown in the bush is 
From Nairobi to the bush. <laughs> City life. I, I was joking. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I was meant for this. Um, yeah. Luckily, I made it. Luckily, I made it. Um, I think my biggest worry was my parents. Because in turn, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to capture lions. And they're like, what? You're going to do what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, I had, I had to stop telling them what like my day-to-day was. I'd tell mm. them after the fact. Because I was just like, I, I, I can't give them high blood pressure. Like, I can't be the reason <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, got that one year um, internship with KWS, which was absolutely amazing, and I truly enjoyed that. And I knew that I definitely wanted to stick to like um, this sector of wildlife medicine and wildlife practice. Yeah. But I also felt like again, because I've mentioned um, for us for the vet med course, I know now things have changed and it's much better. Um, but for us, there was not much of a wildlife focus. So I felt like even after the internship, I still had a lot to learn in terms of wildlife health. Okay. So I decided to apply for a master's degree in wildlife health and conservation, sort of just to like bridge that gap and also learn a bit more about what sort of like career I am going to throw myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, luckily I got to, um, I got into University of Bristol for master's degree in global wildlife health and conservation yeah. and i got a scholarship through the wildlife conservation network for that as well the more i speak this i realize i've been like my path has been very like very much privileged to be perfectly honest i feel like a lot of things have just come to me which to me is sort of like a um what's it called confirmation that i'm on the right path if that makes absolutely sense. Um, yeah 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 so I got to do my master's and graduated in 2022, which was great. Um, and unfortunately, my parents don't think that's enough. They want a PhD. I've told them to keep waiting. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of like education-wise where I got to. Um, and immediately after that, I got to have, um, I applied for a position as a research fellow with the Smithsonian. Um, so it was in collaboration with Mpala Research Center um, that's based here, yeah. like it's off of Nanyuki, um, okay. basically just to carry out a research project for a year. So that ended up not just taking a year because as with research, nothing ever decides to stick to your timeline. Um, but my role still within research has sort of evolved a bit towards just generally carrying out like wildlife health and um, disease surveillance across different sectors of the country and just again working with KWS vets um, and other practitioners and conservancy managers to ensure that we're doing the best we can in terms of um, conducting wildlife health and disease surveillance across the country um, and that's where I am now. Wow, wow. <laughs> what an incredible journey Charlene and uh, before we dive into what you do now as a research fellow and more into research with uh, assisting Kenya, Kenya Wildlife Service and um, all the intrigues there, um, I'd, like a, I'd like to take you back a bit there and it looks like you really had this privileged background I must say you know and <laughs> I, I really envy you you know a, a lot of young people out here um, who would want to be in, in the space that you're in and get the opportunities, you know, whether it's doing the master's, getting the scholarship, getting people holding your hand and pushing you, you know, a, a lot of um, us or other people out there who are so passionate about wildlife, maybe uh, will be inspired 
just hearing your your story right there, right? And um, I'm curious to know, Charlene, what what is this that drives your your passion for wildlife conservation and, and research as well? Um, yeah, could you could you walk us through that a bit? And um, yeah, sure. Um... My passion, I can't take 100% credit for my passion. I kind of feel like it it was given to me by God, the universe, <laughs> everyone. Because <laughs> there, there's so many times I'm speaking about animals and people are looking at me like, why do you care so much? And I'm like, I don't know. I just do. Wow. Um, so I feel like, yeah, part of it is just like inborn and like innate. Um, but also... There's so many times where I'm just like in the wild and in nature and at peace and I'm just like, why would I not want to protect this and care for this in whatever way I possibly can? Um, And I think that's kind of like it. I don't want to ever lose the wilderness that we have. Um, when it comes to like either the wildlife species themselves, the environment, you know, the trees, forestry, waters, everything. There's just something very peaceful and very wonderful and marvelous about it all. So I think, yeah, my, my passion isn't just trying to make sure we keep all these things. I know humans have interrupted and in, intruded in so many ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, just trying to keep these spaces as wild as we possibly can. And I know many people say this, but we want our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to be able to also witness the same things that we are seeing. I'm like, I can't imagine, like, if we still had, like, mammoths, you know, and all these other species that have gone extinct over the last, like, several years, if they were still here, I would have wanted to see them, you know. So, yeah, just wanting to preserve that for future generations um, is also definitely a very important thing to me. Um, and many people in conservation in general so yeah that's mostly um i'd say where my passion is um or rather what my passion is fueled by um your other question was about um uh, could you point us to you know the people that enabled you to see where the opportunities are and grab them because a lot of us finish school and there's this thing called tamaking you don't know where to go you you've had you've had the very hands-on experiences there from your high school just going to case case pca trying out kenya yeah. international hospital uh you know going to the university of nairobi doing that placement to get your license going to alpegeta yeah. You know, um, uh, working with the Kenya Wildlife Service, uh, I'm assuming at their headquarters in Langata. You know, uh, yeah. what 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 opened? What what was you know leading you to all this? And who are those people that you know directed or you know shown that light to you? Like follow this path, you know. I I'd say first of all, even before like going into details of the specific people, a lot of these doors that are sort of like opened for me and for other people I know out there as well is just asking like you just have to be bold enough to state whatever it is you need you never know who's listening around you um you never know who has the capabilities of making a change um or impacting you in whatever way that they can and it's just in telling your story um and I'd say that's probably what opened a lot of doors for me. If it wasn't, again, for example, 
me and like my friends just writing an email to a pageant and be like, hi, do you take attachment students? We wouldn't have known it was something that was possible. Um, if it wasn't for me asking, like, you know, the person in charge, like at KBB, um, what are the stations that I can go to for internships? And him mentioning KWS, I wouldn't have known that either. So I think the first step is always just be bold enough to ask and speak it out because that, again, is the first. No one can help if they don't know what you need. Kind of sure, like sure, you just sure. need you need to be bold enough and um out there enough to be able to speak that out. Yeah. And then also in in line with that, um I don't use the word connections because Kenyans have decided <laughs> I've made the word connection sound like a bad thing. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but a lot of us know someone who knows someone. Um and not that they pull strings for you, but also well. They can. I'm not saying they can't. But also in that, if that one person you're talking to can't help you, they'll always know someone. Not always, but they'll sometimes know someone who could also help you. So like, yeah, yeah just using those connections and then also networking. So any professional setting you get yourself into, um, again, just being bold enough to speak to different people and learn what's there. Apart from that, for people like me who, again, I mentioned I'm introverted and I don't like speaking too much, the internet is full of resources. <laughs> um, just Google. Yeah. Um, Google as much as you possibly can. I know a lot of people look at page one only and see that they haven't gotten what they want from the results and like sort of give up. Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, like a lot of all these like social media platforms as well have people who are using them for more than just, you know, dances and posting photos. Um, so, yeah, just again, using the resources we have at hand to be able to reach out and find out what you what opportunities are there that you can plug yourself into. Um, personally, as I've mentioned, again, if I hadn't spoken to a bunch of these people or like written email, they wouldn't have gotten to where I am. So people who've definitely like held my hand, um, to start with from university, I'd say probably um, Professor Mogor, who was the first lecturer we had who mentioned wildlife, like in his lectures, yeah. in his lectures, really. and that was kind of like, for me, I was like, oh, wait, there's like medicine for wildlife too, which was also <laughs> really nice. And yeah. um, so like set that basis for my curiosity to learn more about the site. Um, when it came to actually like practicing, practicing wildlife medicine, um, Dr. Stephen Gulu, who's based at Alpegeta, who's the one who sort of was my first wildlife medicine teacher. Um, shout out to him if he ever listens to this. Um, yeah, he definitely... <laughs> I always laugh when I think about him because he always says how much I stressed him like during that attachment period because I was so eager to work. Like... With wildlife, generally, we always know you won't always have a case every day, and yeah. that's just how it is. But I just wanted like a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. plan of what you are doing every single day. Like, wow. I, I need you to be working. And yeah, yeah he, he always laughs when he thinks back. He's like, You stressed me because I just had to keep making sure you are busy, otherwise, you're going to come disturb me in my office. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he was patient enough. <laughs> to like even set up like PowerPoint presentations and lectures um when we didn't have any field work to be done and teach yeah. us yeah. um just like in a boardroom somewhere um and keep us busy and give us the opportunities to practice as well and even like trust us to like 
teach other people um, when we were also there. So that was really nice, um, Dr. Ngulu. And then now coming towards KWS, I worked with Dr. Martin Tinder at Lawa, who is again just a mentor in so many ways. Um, yeah. He, he, I think he probably trusted me more than I trusted myself, which yeah. again did wonders for me. <laughs> And I enjoyed that. It's part of the learning process, and that was great. Um, there was also Dr. Ndambiri, who I was based with in Nairobi as well. And then I'm sure you've spoken to her and will be part of this amazing series, Dr. Mukami. Um, yes. It was very nice to see ladies, like, um, as the female vets, because she started, like, working there when I was still an intern, and I didn't see any female vets yet. So having her there was also, like, sort of amazing and seeing how like badass she was i don't know if that's a bad word but how cool she was at her job and standing around and you know showing everyone that women can do this too um so yeah those are the few people i'll definitely give a shout out to for now wow thanks for sharing that uh shaleen let's switch on gears now and talk a bit about um your research work uh, what you do on a day-to-day basis could you paint for us a picture of your your work now, what it entails, the people that you work closely with, I'm sure it's a huge team. Uh, walk us through some of the findings that you have, tying it into some of the biggest threats um, um, on wildlife and wild spaces that you've come across in your in your experience so far. Sure, thanks. Um, I think I'll I'll switch your questions so that like there's a flow to my answer and my research. So, Good. in terms of um threats that i'd say are definitely well there's many threats that are big but what i've personally seen and sort of like um read a bit more on in terms of threats to our wildlife um at the moment one is definitely human wildlife conflict we're seeing more and more of it now um and probably to say generally threats to wildlife are human beings let me just (laughs) I will be bold enough to put it that way. And then I'll explain because I know people will come at me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of like one human wildlife conflict, there's never a right or wrong. There's no one who's like, we can't really take sides because everyone is fighting for these resources. But the reason we're even there in the first place is because there's habitat loss and fragmentation. Um in all these like different wildlife spaces yeah and again i believe let me say i believe um instead of generalizing that that's just human beings at fault because we are the ones who are sort of changing all these um wildlife spaces for either urbanization or agriculture um or just like different land uses where wildlife are supposed to be freely roaming um and just by doing that again we are causing problems for the wildlife in that now with fragmented spaces of course things like um them breeding and just the general survival again is much more difficult in that space and the survival in general um and then the same thing when it comes to human wildlife conflict where we're seeing of course people and communities being angry that animals are generally again um, either going to their lands like crop raiding or even like killing people and all that again i'm not saying that animals are right no one deserves to die yes. um 
But yeah, it's again, more so competition for these different resources and people being forced in the animals, sorry, being forced into spaces um, that they haven't been in before. And again, this wildlife is supposed to be freely roaming um, in, again, protected and unprotected areas. But then that's where the issue comes. I think Kenya has is it 60 or 70 percent? I will have to fact check that. Um, over 65, I think 65, 65. to 70 percent of life, yes. Yeah, of our wildlife outside protected areas, which is yeah. insane to think about. Um, so, yeah, that's just again where all this conflict is rising from. And in the same way, diseases are coming into the play, um, which I guess is where my role in both as a wildlife vet and researcher comes in. Because again, with things like how now human beings and the livestock and wildlife are interacting more than they used to in the past, um, and other things like climate change also, there's so much happening that's changing sort of like the ecosystems that we're in. and for example, either like the pathogens that are making the animals sick now have environmental condition, conditions that are more conducive for them to um, affect the animals and get them sick. So that's both that's both wildlife and livestock. And in turn, of course, we can't rule out the human beings um, and the diseases we are all getting from animals as well, which also brings up the whole like one health approach. So diseases, definitely, with all these things that are happening to our ecosystems, are a big threat um, to yeah. wildlife. I mean, we saw COVID and what that did to the entire world, actually. Um, so in terms of now where I come in with my research is sort of just understanding, huh, we have... I have like two different projects that I'm doing. So the first part okay. is now from yeah. the disease aspects when it comes to rhinos and now with all these conservation management activities because we're immobilizing rhinos to notch them. We are translocating them from one area to another, um, trying to expand their habitats. Um, but also, unfortunately, rhinos are also being fenced in because we need to, of course, make sure the security is as top notch as it can be, which Kenya again has been doing a great job over the last several years. Um, but all these management activities that we're trying to put in place to ensure that the animals are against safe, of course, are yeah. and also increasing in number, um, are unfortunately also sort of predisposing them to diseases at the same time, because we are moving them from places that they were to new places. We don't know what diseases they might be carrying from their place they were in to where they are going to now. We also don't know if we are introducing them to a place where the animals there are used to certain types of diseases. And now we're bringing in naive animals who've never been exposed to these pathogens and, again, creating conditions that their immunity don't know anything about. So they're not going to thrive in those populations. Yeah. Um, we're subjecting them to stress as well. Like immobilizing animals is, of course, no one wants to be chased after with a dart gun. <laughs> I'm sure they ask very many questions like, what do these humans want from us? Um, yeah, like we're stressing them a lot as well. And the translocations as well, which is exactly. yeah, exactly like putting them in crates on trucks. They're feeling movement like yeah. several hours. So yeah, we are, we are definitely causing um disturbance in their systems <laughs> in several ways, physiologically, um, among others, and 
we need to also understand in terms of, again, because immunities are important for them, of course, during this whole process, um, what are sort of the, what's the impact our management activities are having on the animals. Um, so that's one of my research projects where I'm mostly focused on the eastern black rhino here in Kenya and collecting samples, mostly fecal at the moment, um, before, during, and after any of these exercises that are being conducted. So before they're captured or immobilized, before um, they're translocated to different areas, and sort of just seeing uh, the diseases Specifically now for me, I'm looking at um, clostridial disease. Um, yeah. Sort of seeing what the levels are um, compared to the stress levels also um, in the animals during this whole process and what it is we are actually predisposing um, or the, whether we are predisposing <laughs> the animals to the disease yet um, during these activities. I don't have any results so far um, because, again, research does not follow your plans um we're still again as you mentioned no one works alone definitely working with the kws vets doing all this work i have fellow colleagues from like the smithsonian who are also carrying out um, research together with me so they're kind of looking at the stress aspect of this whole translocation exercises and ear notching exercises um while i'm looking at the disease side of things so we all working together to ensure again the general health of the animals and sort of to inform how future um, management activities should be conducted and if there's any like prevention um, management um, efforts we could put into place to ensure that again we're not putting them at risk for developing anything we could possibly um, hinder or stop from happening so that's yeah. one of the cool things that i get to do wow that's that's incredible yeah yeah um the second thing is which again ties into diseases is we've realized a lot of times when as we've mentioned like 65 percent of wildlife is outside protected areas um and who are the people in these protected areas it's mostly like pastoral communities um who live there with their livestock and they've done so for decades and centuries probably and um we've sort of learned not sort of we have learned that they are definitely the first line um of like when it comes to like reporting anything that's happening with this wildlife because they're the ones who live with the wildlife um and also they they know a lot that we don't to be perfectly honest i had the opportunity to speak to community members for about six months this year um oh. both in samburu samburu and kajiado and we we're yeah. just like speaking to them like having discussions about what diseases they've seen in wildlife what they've seen in livestock what they've seen between wildlife livestock and people and they'd give me lists of like 10 15 diseases and i'm looking at them i'm like i didn't even know that existed yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> you're teaching me <laughs> and it was so eye-opening um and again just amazing to see that I feel they're not as involved as they should be in a lot of disease surveillance, disease reporting, even disease response um, efforts across the country. And they have invaluable information. They'll tell you if they see a buffalo 
um, with like mucus coming out of the nose. They know it's this disease and they won't go in that direction anymore. They won't graze on that side. The, com um, the community leaders tell everyone in that area, we're not going to direction X, everyone move in the opposite direction. And I'm like, and they'll tell you, yeah, that disease always comes every year after the rains or during the drought period and stuff like that. And yeah. I absolutely love that. And I have sort of shifted my sort of like wildlife vetness <laughs> to being like, I think there are more doctors than I am. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. like that part of the indigenous knowledge and the experience that they have has been amazing. And together with like my team, um, as conceived by one of my um, colleagues and bosses, his name is Dr. James Hassel, um, conceived of a tool, so it's called Earth Ranger. Um, the app, everyone knows Earth Ranger that they're using it, but we've developed sort of like a wildlife health platform where we're training rangers across different um, conservancies in the country, both um, privately owned and as well as community owned conservancies. Just how to capture what they already know in a way that the vets are able to get these reports in real time. Um, and I think, I, depending on who watches this, that side of my job makes me so much more happier. Because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, because if you're training and teaching, I don't want to call it teaching, because again, it's things that they already know. It's just like trying to make sure we're capturing the information and we're all understanding each other. But yeah. by having these conversations with them and working with them, it's just so eye-opening to see how again that like it'll go down generations it's not that you're just going to train this one they're gonna tell their kids who tell their kids because yeah. it's the same way they have the indigenous knowledge right now and yeah so going around different conservancies of course the traveling is fun but getting to interact with rangers community rangers specifically um on like wildlife health and they always have so many questions and they're like we don't ever have vets who come like this far into like um the communities so they have a million questions that they have and you you're there to learn from each other oh. and yeah that's that's been amazing and i will continue I'm, rambling if you don't stop me so I i'm just going to stop love, i just love this conversation because i'm very passionate about communities as well and uh, just spending time with rangers in these conservancies with the local people who've lived with this wildlife, as you said, for millennia now, you get to yeah. get into their, you know, view or into their brain, really, of how they've been doing this, for sure. And I cannot underestimate, we cannot underscore really the importance of um, communities when it comes to conservation. And at the heart of conservation, our programs are, are communities that are living side by side with this wildlife. And I'm, I'm very happy uh, to hear that. It's your most favorite part of <laughs> your job right now. And uh, wow, this is this is truly amazing, Shalene. And um, um, do you believe uh, community conservation is the answer to some of these uh, problems that you're facing now? I know for sure that human activity has driven a lot of uh, species to extinction. We are seeing a lot of habitat loss, deforestation, um, talking of infrastructure development and sustainable infrastructure development as well there. But on the flip side, look at uh, Lewa, look at uh, Northern Rangeland Trust, where you, you've, been, you know, you've been in the north and you've seen the power of community conservation. In the Mara, we are talking about a different story as well. It's successful, it's beneficial. 
um, uh, what, are your th- what are your thoughts around coexistence and um, what are some of the uh, ways we can empower local communities to, to be in charge by what you're doing, training them to visualize some of this data, to key in this information and to, to partner with you guys and to, for you to make um, this information useful at the end of the day? Yeah, as you've said, I I definitely agree with everything you've mentioned. Um, Communities play a big role in conservation in general. Even before we got this, I have to say, like westernized definition of what conservation really is, we've been doing it on the ground. I I can't say we because I was born and raised in the city, but (laughs) people have been doing it on the ground for, as you've said, a million years. And everyone's known how to coexist with wildlife. And only until recently is when it's become an issue, apparently. Um, And yeah, as you've said, I think communities definitely play a big role, and rightfully so, when it comes to conservation in general. Um, Again, they have the knowledge already. It's just that, again, it's it's different knowledge from what we are taught. You know, we have to go through school and you're told this is the right way of how things should be done. But their ways have worked again for all these. So it's not that they, it's wrong. It's just because it's different. People don't perceive it as being as effectful, uh, effective, sorry, as it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think going forward in terms of, uh, there's a lot of conservation projects that are being carried out across the country. It needs to go be beyond involving communities. It needs to be that these projects are run by the communities. It's we, we can't just say we have a member of the community on our on our team, you know. Um, oh, it needs to be it needs to be we need to even if it's like picking two or three people that the community themselves choose, yeah. train them, let them run the show, you know, let them come to you if they need you. <laughs> And like of um, try be as hands off as you possibly can in such situ- situations. I think there's a lot of power in them seeing their own leading things because that it's well to everyone in life. For example, when I said like for me seeing Dr. Mukami um, as a wildlife vet, like seeing that as like oh I can do it too, you know. Yeah. So even for them, it's just a matter of. All of us who are in different like roles in conservation, being able to take that step back and being like, you know what, we've trained so and so from this community, we trust that they'll continue. Of course, you have to monitor and evaluate and make sure things are going in the right direction. Absolutely. But just but just making sure that it's for them, it's by them, um, and it's being run by them um as well. So as you've said, I definitely believe again that they should be in charge of a lot of these things, um, a lot of these projects and efforts that are being carried out on the ground. Um, maybe just in terms of trainings, in terms of again just creating more awareness as well, um, having these campaigns. Because as we said, when I was in the field, a lot of them were saying they never have vets come to the ground, and you know they have this belief that doctors know everything, and like. I keep telling them, I'm like, we don't, we really don't, we really don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just also being available, like having all these extension services available to them is also empowering them because 
it stops things like how a lot of these communities treat their own livestock, for example, when they're sick and they're like, ah, akikuwa na iyo, nadunganga dawa, you know, and stuff like that. So in in trying also to not encourage that, because again, that has its own problems, we yeah. also need to be, as the professionals, we also need to be available to them to be able to teach them again also that, no, that's not right. There's actual steps in diagnosing a disease and knowing what the proper treatment should be, which in itself is empowering them because, again, they're knowing better and they're mm. also able to spread that information to fellow members of the communities. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a job for everyone, but it's more so in leaving them to being able, tra- training them to a point that they're able to carry out all these projects on their own for sustainability um, over several, several, several decades to come. Certainly, certainly agree. And thank you for sharing that in detail, uh, Charlene. Um, <clears throat> being a woman in this space, Charlene, I'm sure it's not been very easy. And um, yeah, um, <laughs> especially living in the wild, um, interacting with wildlife as well. I know you have very many stories of wildlife there. That I, in, in the interest of time, maybe you can mention one of them. But how has it been like for you, uh, Charlene, um, living in the wild, away from your family? Of course, yes, you have colleagues, you have friends uh, on the ground, you know, traveling, which is very demanding. How do you keep, um, how do you maintain a healthy work-life balance, exercises, uh, you know, eating healthy? What do you do? Share, Share with us some of the tricks. I, I like that you're assuming I'm maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> for speaking. For speaking <laughs> so I definitely try. I, I definitely try. It's, it's not yeah. always the case. As you, as you said, like, um, being in the bush for extended periods has, well, for any period, but yeah, also extended periods is definitely a sacrifice we're all making. Um, we're all away from our parents and families in general. Um, whatever your family may be, um, socializing, like your social life also like plummets, which everyone needs a social life. We can't be work 24-7-365. Yeah. Um, so it's just a matter of being intentional with everything um, and being aware that work will drain you. It's an adventure. It is fun sometimes. It is draining also at the same time. And again, you make your sacrifices. But as soon as you can, prioritizing your health is very important. I personally um, enjoy music and reading. So even if I'm in the field, I'll always either have like headphones or like earphones or and a book. And at the end of a long day, no matter how much I know needs to be done, like just take like half an hour and like unwind at the end of the day. Um, that's sort of been for me what like keeps me grounded and sort of same to be honest because sometimes like things things in the field you, you can lose your mind <laughs> um so, so yeah it's it's definitely a challenge in that um but as i've said you just need to prioritize and be intentional no i think chasing after animals takes care of the physical exercise side of things uh, and lifting animals and crates and whatnot but again it's definitely something we we or rather I need to prioritize a bit more when I'm in the field yeah. just to, to, to make sure I'm not just sitting and eating and working all the time and yeah, just yeah. being deliberate with it all. Um 
But yeah, I also have friends, luckily, who are not in the same field as I am, who take me away from my field, which is also a great thing. Um, And it's not just how was work. It's like, no, let's let's go out. Let's go have a meal somewhere. And yeah, just spend some time um, unwinding, which has also been great. So I'd say it's more so other people keep me in check than I do myself, which is not a good thing to say, but I am working on it. (laughs) Do you play any sport? I used to. I don't anymore. I feel sad about it. I'm (laughs) going to have to take something up now. I'll take that as a sign. You bet, you bet, yeah. Um, And what is this one thing that people misunderstand about being a wildlife vet, especially a female wildlife vet? What what are some of the misconceptions or stereotypes out there that you've come across? How many do you want? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd say definitely, like, top of the list is always we're not strong enough, we're not hardy enough, like um, we won't survive in the bush um, and like under all these like circumstances that sometimes we are forced to be in. Um, But again, we've proved to them we're still here. It's been, what, about four years now, we're still here and we're still fighting and pushing. Um, yeah, that we can't take on the same work that the men do and stuff like that. Generally, I yeah. think that's that's been the misconception that's there. There's always the one of, oh, you just you're gonna get this job and then you're gonna go get pregnant and and I'm like, and <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah, like we're not allowed to have children. Is it like regardless of what your field is? Um. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of a lot of people are just usually turn down women in like our fields because. They're like, yeah, you you'll end up being like more family oriented than career oriented. Like that'll your your job may take a back seat or you'll always want time off for the children or like it's always something. And I'm like, don't men take time off too? You know, um, again, yeah. it's just it's no one has so far been able to tell me accurately what the issue is. <laughs> but I I I'm still waiting for it to be explained to me. Um. And yeah, I think the other side, which is, I've also had a bit, is like sort of the emotional challenge that it sometimes, like it can take a toll on you. I'm sure like in all, like in veterinary practice in general, um, not all animals, well, in medicine in general, not all patients make it. And, you know, you'll always do what you can to help an animal in any situation. But it's not always the case and sometimes you have to put down animals um, or as much as you try, they'll still end up dying. And there's always the whole side of like, we are women are more sensitive and take um, like such situations and even just like harsh criticism and stuff like that um, way harder than men do. And yeah, just to that all of like, we are too sensitive and stuff like that. And people assuming that we wouldn't be able to take it. I'm like, by the time we've chosen this career, I'm pretty sure we know what we're getting ourselves into, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which no one ever gives us the benefit of, a, of the doubt, um, at least not not too many people. Some do. I will not cancel everyone. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not the majority that see that, which is sad to see, but it's also good to see that I think people are changing um, and saying, yeah, we, we are able to 
push through this. I always say like when I was an intern, I was the only female vet in Northern Kenya. And wow. then now there is four of us. Four? One, two, three. There's, yeah, there's four of us, four female yes. wildlife vets. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, we, we're here and we're, in, we're not going. We're not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we need you. <laughs> Cool. Um, we cannot underscore uh, conservation technology, Charlene, and uh, taking you back to what you've just mentioned about Earth Ranger and what you're, you're trying to monitor there and collect info on. And uh, this tool really has revolutionized how a lot of conservation uh, a lot of conservation organizations are doing their day-to-day, -day. Uh, not talking about other uh, apps and tools as well, which are making work effective and easier. In your line of work, what are some of the um, newest technological tools that you're currently adopting and how are they making your work effective and um, um, cool at the end of the day? Yeah, as you mentioned, I think what I've worked most with at the moment is the Art Ranger Health um, app that we've sort of, we haven't developed the app, we've developed the disease module um, of the okay. app. Um, Interesting. So just sort of like, um, having come up with like the module which basically is aimed at collecting wildlife health or other wildlife health and disease data um, by rangers and what this app is able to do for us in general and for conservation in general um, is it's a very active tool in that so it's an app that the rangers have on their phones um, when they're on the ground and they're doing the patrols and if they come across any either dead animal or animal that's sick, they're just able to input that data into the app. Um, so there's just like leading questions that they have to answer yes or no to. Um, and then like just put in like the animal's details. So what species is it? What sex is it? How old it is? Um, and stuff like that, which again is thing, things that they're already trained in doing. Okay. Um, but what's, what this app is able to capture for us is once the... Um, the rangers on the ground fill in like the report they're also able to add in photos of these animals they're able to add in videos of this animal while they're already on the ground with the animal and when they submit the report it goes directly to the wildlife vet who's in charge of the area so it's sort of like a real-time reporting tool and the vet on the ground is able to just again click on the report and have a good look as to what's happening which is amazing in terms of of course Kenya, in general, we are understaffed when it comes to wildlife vets. Um, so it's able to, all the reports being able to go to the vets are able to prioritize easily, like the different cases that they have for the day, where they are, and they're also able to see a map of the region. Like, so of course, the reports come with the GPS locations and every vet knows where they're based. So it's yeah. easy for them to follow up on the different um cases that are coming through and then the vets themselves are also able to go through the um, report and fill in um, whatever like interventions that they've done for the animal so at the end of the day at the end of the week at the end of the month we have just one system that all the vets are able to open and be like oh in Samburu for October we've had all these cases here um, see the map see what animals are being affected and again, the power of technology, and it's just amazing to see. It makes everyone's work that much easier. 
and again, it's a real-time tool. It's easier also for the vets themselves to just follow up with the person who saw the animal. Because unfortunately now, we, there's places where the ranger will have to radio into the radio room, the radio room person, look for the head of security, look for the head of conservation, find someone from KWS, find the vet, yeah. you know, and just... Yeah. Just trying to cut down all that time um, and just have the ranger have that power. As you've said, these communities and the people on the ground are the ones who know so much about these animals. So yeah. just yeah, just enabling them to be able to capture this information and that information going straight to the vets, that is definitely like um, one of the new technologies that we are able to harness and carry out disease surveillance. Um, and it's being used for livestock as well, wildlife. And now we're able to monitor um, as things go on and just get like an epidemiological perspective of what diseases are cropping up in the different areas in the country. Wow. So yeah, that's what, that's a, what, 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 a, what a great way of putting technology into use, Charlene. And how scalable? Have you rolled it out in all the conservancies in Kenya? Because I'm interested to know whether it's landed in the Mara. <laughs> Invite us over and we'll be there. Um, so we're currently in the piloting phase um okay. we have we have done seven conservancies so far um that's in like Kipia and Kajiado so Amboseli yeah. National Park with big life on that side and then a couple of conservancies across like Kipia as well um we are hoping to start in Samburu hopefully by the end of the year if not in January um and we're definitely open to expanding more um so if the Mara wants us I am more than happy to come on over. <laughs> yeah, this is a conversation that we will definitely uh, take forward um, uh, after yeah. this. <laughs> uh, because this will ensure long-lasting and sustained conservation success in the landscape and for Kenya's wildlife in general. Yeah. Really. As we look to wind up this chat, Charlene, what is that one message you will tell that young girl listening to you right now we so fired up to be where you are, making that positive impact for communities, for wildlife, for conservation um, objectives and goals in Kenya and the world in general. What is that one message that you will tell that younger? Uh, huh. Just one? <laughs> okay, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd say one. As long as you are passionate about something, nothing should hold you back. Because passion drives so much. Again, you could be good with like academics, but you're not interested in doing something. Um, you could be just good at so many different things, but if there's nothing that's actually pushing you to go towards what your hopes and dreams are, um, yeah, that's all other things. So if you're passionate about something, Nothing should hold you back. Keep pushing. You'll reach and you'll get through so many challenges in life. But anything that is for you will always be for you. Um, and sort of like a, a phrase, I guess, or like, a, um, what's it called? Literally a proverb. It's not a proverb. But a saying by Nelson Mandela that I always go by and has sort of pushed me through life is may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears so anything that you're putting your mind into doing anything that you know um you should be able to put your mind to and get done may it be that it's being 
um, fueled by what you're hoping to achieve and not that you're letting your fears hold you back. Um, yeah, and then don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> you can do it. Powerful, powerful, powerful. I can't add anything, really. That's very powerful. Thanks for sharing that. And where can our listeners find you, connect with you, uh, have a chat with you as well, mm-hmm. share knowledge with you, uh, and uh, you know, support the great work that you're doing as well? Great. Thanks. Um, I think I'm most active on Instagram. So <laughs> if anyone wants to see like all the work we're doing, um, myself and my team, um, my Instagram is sarange underscore ngwenyi. Um, I will not give, I, I am not that in, in touch with X, formerly Twitter, even, I'm even surprised I remember that it's called X. Um, and. Oh. <laughs> and Elon Musk did that thing, you know? Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that one, that other app and like Facebook yeah. and stuff. I'm not yeah. as active. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn yeah. as well. Shalina Ngwenyi. <laughs> Um, and then my email is just shalinangwenya.gmail.com. So if anyone needs to write to me for any reason whatsoever, any of those platforms should work. And I am more than happy to offer a hand in any way, um, whenever needed. Wow. Thank you, Shalin. What a guest, what a conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your story, uh, taking us deep into what you're working on and your hopes and dreams for the future of wildlife in Kenya. Asante sana for coming to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great fun. Thank you, bye. Bye. A huge thank you for taking time to listen to this great conversation. Kindly be sure to leave a review in your favorite podcast listening app for free today. Follow us on social media to get updates on when fresh episodes are released. Yours truly, Diblex. Until next time, stay safe and stay blessed. Kwaheri.